Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Wednesday night, um, we had a tech issue last week. So uh, tonight's show is rescheduled from eight days ago. My original note, I was uh, going to say I had the honor of speaking with Kathleen Martin and at the end of April, yeah, just a couple weeks ago, at the uh, Butler Organization for Research of the Unexplained, but now I have to add eight days, and that kind of puts it over three weeks ago, but now we've turned over into June, so I, I, I'm confused now. That's why we don't do math on night light, but we'll have a lot of fun tonight. Um, and Kathleen Martin was a guest in the fall to discuss her 60th anniversary edition of Captured, and at the uh, – no, Towards the end of the show, um, she said something like, uh, hey, I'll have a new book out uh, in April, and Forbidden Knowledge is out on time, and it's a fascinating read. Uh, Kathleen doesn't need much of an introduction other than she's the best ufologist, leading speaker at conferences, and you can see her on Ancient Aliens, and you'll see that She's a meticulous researcher, and while we review her canon, and if you want to learn more about Kathleen, go to her website, Kathleen-Marden.com. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? Hi, Mark. I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, fine. Uh, uh, really looking forward to uh, tonight's show, and it 
it was so nice uh, seeing in the Pittsburgh area again. Um, oh, what? <sighs> it was. I, yep. I really enjoyed that conference. Uh, mm-hmm. It was amazing because it was the largest attendance they have ever had. I think that, you know, everyone was closed up over uh, for two years when COVID was a major threat. And now yep. they've lifted the masks and uh, are going out to conferences. And it has been just wonderful. After the Pittsburgh conference, I was out in Oregon for the McMinnville conference. And that, too, had the largest attendance ever. Okay. Um, I'm sure a lot of people were just wanting to get out of the house, but you, know, you do an excellent job, so I'm sure you contributed to the attendance. And, the, and even when I met you the first time on you know, – I'd reach down and pick up uh, your alien abduction files, and um, when you spoke at the – Pittsburgh MUFON conference on November 2nd, 2013. That was uh, very well attended as well. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, I'm, I've spoken at loads and loads of conferences and professionally uh, I was a social worker, but then after that I became an educator. So uh, I just really love Learning, and when I learn something, I I take it and I educate. And I think that there is greater interest now than there has been in a long time because our government has, of course, announced that uh, it is actually going to investigate uh, UFOs, or now they call them UAPs again. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly hope that they tell the truth this time. It appears that they might. Okay. Uh, uh, Did you get that impression from the recent uh, congressional hearings? Um, Yes. Well, I was – in the recent congressional hearings, I – some information was given that made me think, well, this is great. They understand what's going on. Also, uh, I had wanted them to uh, review all of the major studies that our government, our Air Force, has already done, dating back to 1947. And uh, the, the largest study that they ever did was released in 1955. It was a, a year before it was released to the, the press. But uh, 3,201 cases were studied by the Battelle Memorial Institute, very prestigious. The scientists involved in this investigation uh, had to agree, everyone had to agree that it was a true unknown before it could be put into the known category as opposed to being Uh, listed as psychological, balloon, birds, uh, Mm -hmm. conventional craft, etc. 
And in the end, 21.5% were true unknowns. And there was a chi-square quality analysis done. Talk about you don't do math here. But a (laughs) chi-square quality analysis done that showed that the chance of an unknown being just a missed known was less than 1%. So pretty extraordinary. But unfortunately, they said that uh, they weren't going to look at the old work, the studies that had been done. And that is extraordinarily disappointing to me. Uh, In addition to that, uh, the topic of uh, UFOs hovering over nuclear bases, um, taking the nuclear weapons offline, uh, in, in one case, 10 were taken offline at the same time. And the two people in charge were shaking their heads as if they had never heard of this. So that was extraordinarily disappointing to me how uh, his, Mr. LaHood was one of the people I'm looking for the other name. I don't see it here. Well, anyway, these two men are the head of government projects, and you would think that they would at least know what the rest of us know. This has been presented uh, very widely to the public, yet the two people at the head of this program uh, are unaware of it. They didn't look like they were lying. So I don't know what to make of that. Okay, so there's that sounds a little bit like some of the uh, congressional early congressional hearings in the fifties uh, that you cover in fact fiction and flying saucers. Like uh, was it the uh, Robertson panel? from 1953? Uh, Yes, the Robinson panel uh, was a CIA-funded study of uh, several cases. They had government scientists there, um, CIA officers, uh, a couple of people from the Air Force. Alan Hynek was there, but he wasn't permitted to speak with the rest when when the rest of the group did, he was only permitted to give his address uh, to the group after they made their decisions. And, and the Robertson panel was terribly disappointing uh, because the decision was made that the American public not be aware that UFOs are real and that we are being visited by this other civilization and that those who have uh, credible sightings uh, should be ridiculed uh, to sort of uh, dissuade the public from uh, having an interest in this topic. It didn't work. The private UFO groups received loads and loads of information, but I guess it, it took some of the heat off the government And, you know, here in 1953 is about the time that 
uh, Air Force policy started to change. Um, they decided to take uh, the, the real unknown cases, the interesting cases, uh, out of Project Blue Book and to handle it under a separate uh, channel and that what would be released to the public would only be what could be explained. So uh, that was pretty deceptive to uh, the public and to ufologists uh, for many years. And then ufologists saw that there was a pattern and it was clearly a cover-up. Uh-huh. And, you know, so it went on from there and then, you know, it was closed down at the, the end of 1969. Uh, and Edward Condon, who had uh, done the scientific study on UFOs, that uh, I found a letter that is actually gave evidence that the, before the study was even done, the Air Force had determined the conclusion that they wanted Condon to come to. And uh, so Condon didn't take uh, the study very seriously. But if you go into the Condon report, there are some very good cases. But at the front of that report, the part that Dr. Edward Condon wrote, uh, he said things like there'd be uh, no expectation of having contact with uh, any uh, extraterrestrial civilization in the next 10,000 years. So uh, (laughs) just more deception, more deception. And I'm hoping that the government will now at least admit that something is going on here. They probably can't admit that abductions are real, that people are being taken to craft because uh, militarily we're defenseless against that. So the only defense we have is propaganda to the public to say that it's not real and these people just have mental health issues or uh, have Mm -hmm. misperceived which which is totally false, of course, but you know that's that's what mm-hmm. we have to deal with <laughs> that's been right. going on for a very long time okay and you know while you were talking about the the history of uh some of these uh, congressional hearings that led up to the one from you know about a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, you mentioned um, you know those who were uh, very interested in in, in the topic uh, deal with uh, ridicule. Uh, you know, the government's res- uh, responses uh, to use uh, deception. You know, the uh, inevitable. It was swamp gas uh, a, a type of statement to easily dismiss it. But in your new book, uh, Forbidden Knowledge, um, you it's a um, I'd say it's a courageous autobiography, and you. Uh, just basically come out with uh, 
you know, some uh, a little bit different statements than what you were just talking about. But you, know, you say, uh, I had hesitated to author this book because my journey was incomplete, uh, nearly a, a lifelong struggle with the unknown. Um, and you go on to say, until now, I concealed my knowledge because certain powers threatened to stand in my way. The power of disinformation and ridicule runs in its mission to enforce pervasive ignorance and limit access to this secret knowledge. Okay, that, uh, uh, that's a ominous start to your your book, but you know, there there are many. Um, positive life lessons to be learned from your autobiography. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and what I was talking about uh, at the beginning of the book and the introduction that you you were reading from is that uh I did one of the reasons I decided to write this book now is because uh, government officials such as uh, Lou Elizondo and uh, Kate has come forward. Uh, uh-huh. James Lukaski uh, from the DIA uh, used to be the director of the DIA. He came forward and and uh, said that this is real and uh, we don't fully understand it, but it's real. And, and Colm Kelleher, who is a government scientist, has come forward. It was uh, Ronald Moutry, um, who is the U.S. Under Secretary for Intelligence and Security, and Scott Bray, the Deputy Director of Navy Intelligence, who were the ones who were ignorant uh, about at least they claim to be, about uh, the nuclear power, uh, the, the nuclear, not power, but the nuclear weapons being shot down. So they have this new program, AIMSOG, um, which is uh, the third version of this investigation by the Department of Defense, this new investigation. Mm-hmm. But at least the government is is looking. Some are much further ahead than others. I'm very, very pleased with uh, some of these individuals. I know people are have been uh, people in my field have been questioning uh, Lou Elizondo's integrity uh, if he ever even held a position uh, in the the uh, program mm-hmm. and uh, his name was mentioned during that congressional hear- hearing so i know for a fact you know that why would they mention his name if he had not been a part of it so he was a part of the atip program which was the declassified title of uh, another program well, the it, earlier and, program. Yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, there are just more and more people reporting their sightings, and it just seems like um, 
it's only news to the government. <laughs> like they're yes. the last to know. The mutual UFO network is alive and well. Um, <laughs> they're receiving uh, all kinds of sighting reports and also mm-hmm. uh, UFO abduction and contact reports. So uh, they have been doing it for a long time and continue to do it. Uh, okay, so that's it. Um, thing um move on uh uh that's a good lead into um one of my uh questions is um you, know, you eloquently write about what uh so many of us uh face on a, each day and but we uh want to remain uh silent um but you remain positive um you know through throughout forbidden knowledge you, you contrast uh positive and negative thought and you know that goes through throughout many of your uh, other books um you were an eyewitness to uh, Betty and Barney's um, the aftermath of their abduction. Um, you, know, you, know, you uh, cover the harassment and negative consequences and captured and you spoke about it. When People look at your uh, canon. Um, one of the themes that links so many of your uh, books is the role of memory in paranormal experiences. Um, let's see. It's the yeah. role of memory whether it's a paranormal experience or just memory for anything. I have spent a great deal of my life studying the function of memory. And Mm -hmm. I I first became interested, I was a psychology student uh, and sociology student in college. I took a pretty well-rounded curriculum. But I uh, was very much interested in Uh, the hypnosis that my aunt and uncle had with Dr. Benjamin Simon. Uh, I noticed that the uh, disinformants and the skeptics failed to mention that they uh, had separate hypnosis sessions and that Dr. Simon reinstated amnesia at the end of each session so that they couldn't contaminate one another's information. That's a really important point, but the skeptics uh, don't have wiggle room if you bring that information out, because I was able to do a comparative analysis of Betty's and Barney's statements from Mm -hmm. their hypnosis tapes uh, from the very beginning of their trip 
all the way through. I studied their speech patterns. I studied uh, and compared uh, the way they think, the way they state things, remember things, their, their interactions with one another. And what I discovered is that that is only one piece of scientific evidence, social science, that's scientific evidence, right. that uh, the experience on the craft was the same all the way through. And not just on the craft, but the entire trip, it was the same. Um, and as some have said that Barney knew everything that uh, was in Betty's dreams. She had dreams and five dreams uh, about contact. And uh, skeptics have said that uh, Betty's and uh, dreams and the ETs were different. Betty and Barney had described uh, different extraterrestrials. Well, that's not true either. Betty and Barney described the same, but the ETs in Betty's dreams looked human. They looked Southern European. They were wearing cadets' uniforms. That's not what Betty and Barney saw. Um, but dreams served the function of helping Betty to uh, work through her anxiety over what had occurred. They happened just before she woke up in the morning. And what is important about these dreams is that they can include true information, information from things that have actually occurred. But then interspersed with that is fantasy for uh, things that might be too disturbing. So in Betty's dream state, just before she woke up, which is a sort of a hypnopompic state. It's a hypnotic state. Um, she was seeing these very human men who talked with mouths and uh, come the anxiety. Barney didn't have that. Um, and with my background in psychiatric social work and psychology, I, I take a very a close look at that i'm i'm just that's what i do and uh, so the psychology of everything is more important to me than nearly anything except for of course the physical evidence and the circumstantial evidence which is uh, quite clear too but um when uh, susan not susan clancy um Elizabeth Loftus was the professor uh, who introduced false memory syndrome uh, mm -hmm. into academic studies and uh, then started to uh, do tests on uh, people who said they'd been abducted by ETs uh, to find out what was wrong with these people. Um, and did test Susan Clancy then followed that up. She did tests as well. Susan Clancy uh, was a postgraduate student at Harvard at that time. Um, and she worked with uh, a professor at Harvard. But um, the studies that they did uh, were really not a good indication. Person's memory, because when you 
have been abducted, uh, you very often have conscious recall of observing craft. Most experiencers, and this is intergenerational within families, have seen craft close up. Um, and then the, um, often they have seen the non-human entities close up. They have conscious recall of this. Some of them remember entities in their bedroom. In fact, on the study that I worked on with the Mutual UFO Network, the ERT, with Dr. Don C. Don Derry and Dr. Michael Austin Melton, Denise Stoner, and Craig Lang, we asked the question, um, if, uh, have you had the symptoms of sleep paralysis, essentially? Um, I didn't say <laughs> sleep paralysis. I said, have you woken up at night uh, uh, feeling paralyzed and uh, able only to move your eyes? Well, an incredibly high percentage said, yes, it was something like 95. 95% who said, yes, they'd had that experience. But then I said, have you been awake? And en entities entered your environment, and then you became paralyzed. Well, among the experiencer group overall, it dropped to 35 40%. But for the group of uh, people who were in, identified as being true abductees. They had the knowledge and they had the emotional uh, part of it as well. Uh, it increased uh, exponentially. It was uh, very high. So, you know, that uh, tells us that you cannot write all this off as sleep paralysis. And that's something else that uh, the skeptics have offered up. It's all sleep paralysis. Well, what about Betty and Barney Hill, who were wide awake? What about Travis Walton, who was wide awake? There were three women in Kentucky. There were men uh, up on the Allagash of Maine. It goes on and on and on with people who were wide awake when this mm -hmm. occurred. So uh, and then you have to ask, why did they forget this? Part of it, the part about being on the craft. A lot of people remember part of being on the craft, but not all of it. And so then the question is, are the extraterrestrials doing this? Or is it the electromagnetic field that... Uh, is unintentionally causing problems with human memory. Now, I have done experiments with this, uh, and I did one experiment with one of the members of the Council of Eight that I talked about in uh -huh. Forbidden Knowledge, a personal journey from alien abduction to spiritual transformation. And it was very interesting. He... Uh, told me, he was a little gray, he told me that uh, I had a scientific mind, a keen scientific mind, and therefore he wanted to communicate with me. And so I said that was fine. He was a scientist 
as well. And so we started to communicate. And uh, he gave me information. And I was writing this information down uh, along with my question. This was telepathic and a telepathic exchange of information. And it's a good thing I did write it down because when we were finished communicating, I had no memory of what was said. My husband was there as a witness. He saw what was occurring, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I had no memory. So I'm wondering if it was that uh, sort of strong tingling that I feel in my body when they are nearby, maybe that is a sign of the electromagnetic field uh, that has uh, toyed with people's memories so that we have partial memories but not complete. But then other experiencers believe that uh, the ETs might have pointed something at them and erased their memory intentionally. So uh, maybe it's both. I don't know. But uh, certainly memory has been a huge theme in all of my books. Yeah, and with um, memory and you, know, you just mentioned the um, intergenerational um, encounters, um, you, you know, Barney wanted to basically – forget the whole thing happened <clears throat> you um, in the your uh, alien abduction files uh, De- Denise has clear recollections of the uh, 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 like children in the uh, fetuses in the uh, jars um Betty wanted you know, to remember the experience by taking <clears throat> excuse me uh you know the the uh, book uh this is you know the souvenir book with her uh you know, other people uh need hypnosis to recall the memory and it, you, know, you also uh, present one case of in forbidden knowledge of Hannah, who is a ghost who seems like she wanted to be uh, remembered. So it, you have various a- aspects of uh, – Memories. You also talk about uh, glimpses or early on in your book. Um, so, how, how does um, like all the intergenerational, like you, know, you and your uh, your mom, her sister? You know, uh, Betty, you, you and you know, and at the conference you mentioned you, your son had these uh, all these different paranormal experiences. How has that 
intergenerational theme. Um, how is that developing over the generations? And you know, does it usually keep going? Is, you know, is there any end to the family members that are go- going to be uh, have, have have these paranormal encounters? Many people say that their families have been taken for five generations. Okay. Uh, now, and I, I want to cl- make something clear about my son. He has not had multiple. Uh, paranormal experiences. When he was uh, four years old, I heard noise in his bedroom in the middle of the night that woke me up. And uh, he was laughing and playing and having a great time in there. And so I got up out of bed and I went, uh, I opened the door, I'd left the nightlight on for him. And there he was chasing a conscious orb around the room. I knew it was not ball lightning. The conditions were not right for it. It appeared to have intelligence. And there he was, jumping into the air to bat it, and it would move. And it was very gleeful. But I was extraordinarily Uh, distressed when I saw this. So I picked my little boy up and I I, uh, took him into bed with me for the rest of the night. So that was uh, what I'd stated about my son. Um, So I'm not saying that he is an experiencer. Um, I, I don't talk about anyone except for my aunt, my uncle, my mother, and myself in the family. Um, and, and there are very good reasons for that uh, because you know, people lose jobs, people lose reputations, people lose their businesses, their marriages over things like this being made public. And uh, I don't believe that anyone should uh, expose any information about other family members, including their names. When you get um, cover a, a lot of the events the paranormal events uh, it, that you experienced, you um, eventually you know, formed a group. We call it the Council of Four. Um, how, how did uh, that come about? Uh, did, you know, Denise. Uh, Oh, it was a uh, Denise Stoner was a participant, and you, know, you worked closely with her to write um, the alien ab- abduction files. Uh, yes, Denise and I have worked together uh, on uh, research for many years. I trust her implicitly. Uh, she is a very 
fine researcher. She's the assistant mm-hmm. director of MUFON's experience or resource team. She's the uh, assistant director of Florida MUFON. She's very scientific in what she does. Now, Kevin Briggs, who is a former police officer, um, he grew up in England, has had contact since he was a boy, uh, and also contact with conscious orbs that have intelligence. And uh, he went to MUFON's uh, International Symposium in Orlando, Florida in 2016. And he went to the support group for experiencers that Denise was holding. And she met him there. He talked a little bit about his experiences. And then he went to have lunch. And all of the seats were taken. There was one table with one seat, but there were women sitting at the table. So he approached, and Dr. Melanie Barton Bragg was seated at the table. Well, she is not only a minister, but she is also a psychotherapist, and uh, I had known her for a while at that time, and uh, considered her to be a, a very good person to be on this t- investigative team uh, to determine what was actually going on. Um, you know, you, you have to be skeptical. Uh, first, you have to question whether Kevin, who uh, was acting as the medium, sort of channeling this uh, extraterrestrial, uh, was uh, in his right mind. He was. He was a very down-to-earth person, real estate agent, uh, just uh, just about as, as stable and uh, non-UFO abductee as you could possibly imagine. Uh, his wife taught at uh, a university and was a researcher at a university. She's also very well-grounded. And uh, so Kevin had offered us the opportunity to ask questions to this council of eight that he was in contact with. And uh, I thought that I wanted to do that. I was never going to speak of it. And I was always focused on obtaining scientific evidence that it was real that it was true and so was Denise so we used uh, scientific measures such as a laser thermometer Mm -hmm. and uh, at one time when this uh, council came into the room we couldn't see them but we could feel their presence so they came in and introduced themselves using Kevin's voice one at a time and said that they are fifth and sixth dimensional beings and that's the reason we are not able to see them Uh, but when we elevate our vibration we will then be able to see them it's just that our vibration uh, is so much lower than theirs and we did occasionally see like a shadow we also could, you know, as I said, had that very strong electrical tingling sensation in our bodies. And with those fifth and sixth dimensionals, there was 
uh, about a uh, six degree increase in the temperature in the uh, part of the room where they were standing. Then when the ninth dimensional came in and with his big booming voice, uh, he said that he is a watcher, that he was Anunnaki, that he had lived on this planet uh, during our ancient history. He had had uh, many incarnations here and that he no longer has a body. He had elevated to the ninth dimension and that he and the others are in this quadrant of our galaxy sort of as watchers, overseers, protecting this quadrant. Now, he said, or I, I already told you that, uh, we measured his, the temperature of the area of the room where he was standing, it was eight, an eight degree increase in temperature. So we have scientific measurements uh, compared to other parts of the room that we were measuring that in that particular location, it was much warmer. And we live in Florida. We did not have a heat vent nearby. <laughs> if anything, it would have gotten colder from air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, that, was, that was very interesting. Now, in the beginning, Kevin had a great deal of difficulty doing this. He had never channeled before. He did it for the first time when at a uh, conversation we all gathered at my house after we'd gone out to lunch together. And um, he was asking we were asking him questions and he was answering. And then uh, Melanie and Denise realized that he was channeling. I didn't realize that. I'd talked to one channeler before uh, who was responsible for uh, sending ETs to heal me. I talk about that in the book too, which was an extraordinary experience and made me realize that it is not all bunk. Um, I know that everything that's channeled is true, that some people uh, hoax it, some people uh, fantasize it, whatever. But uh, some of it is true. And so we were able to ask uh, two questions, uh, or, or one or two questions to begin with. And then Kevin grew very tired and weak, and uh, he was drenched with perspiration. His face, his clothes were soaking wet, and uh, that was it. We got some uh, some answers to our questions about who they were, why they were here, and you know, as, as I already told you about their dimension, about their purpose, and eventually. They told us that they wanted to show us evidence that they were extraterrestrials. That's what we wanted. We asked for that. And so uh, they set it up with us that we would receive or actually be able to view this evidence individually. They went to Melanie first. Um, a light came in the first night. She didn't have a close encounter. They told her that it was because 
the, there were a lot of neighbors out in their yards, and there were a lot of neighbors, uh, mm-hmm. so they didn't want to come in close. But they have come in closer to Melanie. They've communicated with Melanie, and she has an ongoing relationship with them. With Denise, she was next, and uh, she went outside her home, and she saw a new light in the sky that uh, moved in an unconventional pattern. And she had other experiences as well, um, not to the degree that Melanie did, but uh, uh, some pretty good experiences that convinced her that this was real. And then came my turn. Now, I wanted to see a craft close up over the lake that I live on. I didn't want to stay up until midnight to see this, uh, so I said uh, I wanted to see it early in the morning before it was daylight. So I was out there before dawn, and uh, I felt a very strong tingling in my body. Zark came in. I was seated on my deck, looking out on the lake, and suddenly I saw uh, turbulence in the water, and it was in about a 35-foot circle, I would say. I'd never seen anything like that on my lake before. I thought, could this possibly be a school of fish all swimming around and around in a circle? I've never seen that. It's, I've seen a duck paddle and, and create a circle, but nothing like what I was looking at. And so I just uh, was waiting for this craft to rise up out of the lake, and it never did. So I was terribly disappointed because I didn't get uh, the kind of confirmation that I wanted. And I still have not seen a craft up close uh, being shown by them. I've seen craft up close, but not not by them. However, Kevin has photographs of uh, craft that have come up fairly close in his backyard. Um, and uh, they have shown me orbs, three gray orbs uh, with sort of amber-colored centers bobbing along my lawn at night. They've shown me lights. Uh, they've shown all of us turbulence on the lake. Uh, they have shown me uh, a big red orb that was coming in closer and closer And I was hoping it was going to come in very close, but then suddenly it just, it was like an explosion, and it dispersed uh, into uh, these smaller orbs and then disappeared. So that was uh, something that I saw, too. Uh, So that, along with the uh, evidence we were able to measure, convinced us that uh, at least something was going on here. Are they extraterrestrial entities? Are they interdimensionals from here on Earth? Um, they claim that uh, they are extraterrestrials to us, but not to themselves. <laughs> so, you know, probably saying like, well, you're not extraterrestrials to yourselves either. <laughs> So, but they are here, and they, uh, in our book, I 
put 120 questions that we asked and their detailed answers to these questions. I was very satisfied with the experience and uh, still from time to time have ongoing contact. And uh, we met with Kevin for two full years, once a month. And then since then, we've met with him a couple of times a year. Okay. So when you start this section of uh, forbidden knowledge, um, it's a lot of um, transcripts. Is that because you know? I don't know if that's the right word, but yes, I recorded everything that was said. I collected the questions, and then I recorded all of the answers to the questions, and then I went home and I transcribed all of it. So that is what you see in my book: is the transcriptions of our questions one by one and their answers and who it was who answered. Sometimes it was Ort, uh, who is uh, an Arcturian, who uh, has a human appearance. He's very, uh, he's about six feet tall, maybe taller than that, Uh, wears a blue uniform. Um, I believe he has uh, dark blonde, right? Or hair. You'll see my rendition of Ort uh, in the book based upon uh, my just what I've gotten through my third eye. And but I've asked Kevin, and Kevin said, Yes, that's what Ort looks like. He has seen Ort, he's been on craft with Ort when he was, uh, let's see, 15 years old, and prior to that, when he was nine years old. Uh, he saw Ort as well. So um, then we have uh, Ra, who is mm-hmm. the ninth dimensional, and he answers questions. And he says, for one thing, I asked, well, are you the Ra who was the sun god um, in Egypt? And he said, no, but I was in Egypt. I had a life in Egypt. He also said, uh, says he was an Anunnaki. Yes. Yes, he's the one who was an Anunnaki. And then uh, he has a female counterpart. And the way he states it is that she, Shiva, is uh, his right side. So I don't know if they're, you know, if they're, one joined consciousness, both male and female, or how you interpret that. But um, she is a ninth dimensional healer, and I've had evidence of her healing uh, that, and uh, am very grateful to her for the healing that she has done. Uh, I ask her to come to me sometimes, and she will. And I'll be healed. Melanie uh, has also been healed from uh, some major physiological problems by Shiva. So, uh, and it's not the Indian god, (laughs) um, Shiva. 
S-H-I-V-A. It's right. supposedly S-H-E-E-V-A and uh, just a ninth dimensional female intelligence. Okay. And, and you mentioned Zark. So there's – I think we went through the – named everyone. Uh Everyone that we talked with, um, except for when they introduced themselves. Now, Dee is Ort's partner, a a woman. Um, Zark is the small gray scientist that I communicated with. Then there's Orla, and Orla is a tall white. she has come to me during meditation. Um, I have seen Arna out of just the corners of my eyes as a kind of a, a bright blue color. She's a blue avian. Then there's Chica, who is a mantis. And I've seen him in my mind's eye as well. And he was a very jolly fellow, even though he you know, has an exoskeleton and um, is, is a large bug-looking kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He has a good – I like him. Um, he had almost a cartoon character smile on his face on one side when I saw him in my mind's eye. And then this Targ. And I have not met Targ yet. And he is a tall gray. Okay. So, uh, oh. there are no reptilians on the council. They say that they have invited them, but the reptilians do not want to cooperate and be on a council because they would have to follow the council's rules, um, sort of the Galactic Federation's rules, and that the reptilians uh, throughout uh, our galaxy and, and elsewhere in other galaxies believe that they're just the owners of everything that they uh, put themselves on and can do whatever they want and don't have to live by the same rules that others do. Now, um, I know that uh, there have been wars in the ancient past uh, Mm -hmm. between uh, the, the greys and the reptilians. We've been given that information, but nothing in recent times. Yeah, uh, it, it was um, interesting that uh, you know, you're really focusing on the eight um, ET characters, but you know they also do give a background about the reptilians and you know their history the uh interactions between the different species and i you know it it, it was contentious and uh, the eight with whom you and uh all you know your Council of Four, um, it, it really developed. I, I learned a, a lot about 
positive thinking. There really is a more of a uh, religious uh, overtone to their appearance in uh, the uh, session channeling sessions. Well, at at least um, spiritual. Yeah. They say that there is uh, one creator and that we all share the same consciousness and the same creator. So that was something that I found very interesting, especially since some experiencers are having Marian apparitions. They're seeing the mother Mary appear in front of them and some are uh, giving, being given prophecy. And, you know, it, it, that's definitely religious when you, when you mm-hmm. get to that sort of thing. So, I mean, I'm still in a quandary about that. I don't have the answers on that sort of thing, but I found it incredibly interesting. Oh, no, no I, I do too, uh... Yeah, you mentioned the uh, Christ consciousness is in there. Uh, it, that the Council of Eight is almost acting in a role of guardian angels. Yeah, you know, uh, that you know, that's mentioned in the Bible as well. Um, it, 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 the way you depict the eight characters reveals something uh, uh, a, a, a positive. They bring something positive to you, whether it's through feelings or the uh, messages. Um, would visions be the right terminology? I I have had visions. That's quite common among experiencers. Uh, So occasionally I will have a vision. Um, For example, and this has been going on for a long time with me, um, Stanton Friedman's uh, son was uh, not doing well. He uh, he had hemophilia, and he had uh, had uh, tr- blood transfusions that caused him to uh, develop hepatitis C, which is extraordinarily prevalent among those with hemophilia uh, during a certain time frame before the blood banks realized that uh, they were not killing it. And so he he was very ill and he was waiting for a transplant. And uh, so Stanton was telling me about his son and how they thought that he might be able to have that uh, transplant within a month. And when Stanton said that, I had a vision. And it was a bar and there was a wing 
on each side of that bar and his name, James, was written on that and it was flying up into the air. And I knew at that point that James was going to die within the next month and he did. So that's just an example of the, the types of visions that I've had, uh, many, some more significant than others. Okay, and it, now I, I guess that's um, pro, prophecy or it's their appearance in your uh, life. Uh, you know what you, you know, ha- have transcribed from the interactions with them uh, they just seem like they were they were bringing something good uh to those who were open to it i can you say that betty and barney's um abductors were doing something similar? Well, they were getting DNA from Betty and Barney. They were also checking them out, um, checking out their health. They always do that. Um, Nowadays, if somebody has a problem, and they've been working with the ETs uh, for many, many years, the ETs will heal them. Now, um, in terms of uh, what Betty and Barney were going through, uh, although Betty and Barney were terrified, the Greys told them that they would not be harmed, that they only needed to do a few simple tests, and they would be on their way home in no time. And at the end, uh, Betty actually had a positive attitude toward the one that she called the leader, who was the communicator, the one who communicated with her. And when he walked her back to the car after Barney had already been taken uh, to the car, um, she invited him back. And you know, she said, I, I know you're not from around here, but if you can come back, then I might be able to arrange a meeting uh, between you and others who uh, are much more knowledgeable about this than I am. And he said, well, that decision is not for me to make. Maybe I can come back, but I'm not certain. And She said, well, if you can come back, how will you find me? Out of all the people on this planet, how will you find me? And he said, we can always find those that we want to find. Now, I've been told that um, each abductee or experience or whatever word you want to use, some people like to use the word contactee, but each has uh, a certain vibration. Now, I don't know if the implant is what causes that vibration. I think that it is a communication device 
uh, I think that it facilitates uh, communication between uh, them and the higher realms and me. Um, so they can always uh, find me and they can always find other experiencers too. And I'm wondering if this was not Betty's first abduction, only the first that she remembered. That is huh. my question. I don't know if I'll ever have it answered, but that's what I'm wondering. Uh, that, that's a fa- just a fascinating statement. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, I should tell your, your listeners that um, the major reason that I decided to even take part in this study uh, with Kevin Briggs was because my aunt Betty Hill um, had told me about Admiral and Helen Knowles. And they were a couple who uh, lived right across the river from Betty and Barney. Betty and Barney were in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And the Knowles family um, had a house right across the river. And uh, Betty and Barney had gone over to meet them after they were invited to brunch and uh, Betty and Barney were hesitant about going because they thought they would be ridiculed but when they arrived there were many people from the Navy their officers Mm -hmm. from the Navy and their wives and also from the Canadian military and they all met and they talked about UFOs, and they even had a piece of metal from a craft um, that they were passing around. So that was, uh, you know, very interesting. It got me started out on who was this Admiral Knowles and what can I find out about him. And there was also a woman named Frances Swan. And Betty said, oh, Frances Swan said that she always talked to the Benevolent Space Brothers and that uh, Betty uh, had communicated with the evil one. So Frances Swan would not meet my aunt, Betty. So I, I did research background on Frances Swan, had all of the information that I could find. Uh, even Jacques Vallée had written about a uh, communication experiment that he was aware of, the the CIA took part in uh, because of communications between Francis Swan that went on to Admiral Knowles and and Wilbert Smith from the Canadian government. And uh, so I thought, this is fascinating. Can I get some information on this? I wonder if I can. And if I possibly can, um, I want to know what they said. And so uh, I talked about it on radio shows, how I was looking for this information. And at one conference in Exeter, New Hampshire, Uh Admiral Noel's granddaughter came. And she brought me a thick packet of communication, letters between Admiral Noel's and Wilbert Smith. And also some of the messages that were communicated to Francis Swan. So that was a gold mine for me. That got me started 
on all of this because what they had discovered is that um, the ETs were here. They said this was back in 1954 um, to guide and assist us. They would provide competent teachers to educate all of us. They said that humans must become more spiritual and raise their vibrational level. That's what we're hearing today from many, many people. You Mm -hmm. think of uh, Dolores Cannon. That was one of her major themes. Um, It's a major theme of the spiritual community and among some ufologists as well. Um, They said we must stop polluting the earth. That was a major concern of theirs uh, way back in 1954. They said that there's a displaced magnetic field problem on Earth caused by nuclear explosions, especially around Japan, and that they were working to repair this. And Wilbert Smith was actually able to acquire evidence that this was true. And they said all vibration is sound. Sound waves permeate the universe and affect the human body. Become peaceful and your sound will create peace. And uh, so this was just extraordinary. But um, they offered technical knowledge to our government, but the government wouldn't take it because they were able, they were going to provide technical knowledge, but it would be so incomplete that no nation can take advantage of it to the detriment of other nations. So absolute neutrality was requisite in in all their contacts with earthlings and earth governments. And of course, you know, nationalism is the name of the game. Tribal warfare is our major activity, and it's been going on uh, since the beginning of time. And we were not ready to change. And you know, so we didn't take advantage of this. And just recently, um, I was listening to a show. It was an interview with Jim Semivan. And Jim Semivan uh, was uh, a CIA in intelligence officer, senior officer from uh, the CIA's director of uh, operations. And uh, he has admitted that he actually did have uh, entities appear in his bedroom in the middle of the night. And uh, he didn't call it an abduction. He called it an experience. Um, And he talked about how the government and media have made those of us who have had encounters out to be crazy. And he made the statement that this is unconscionable. Um, But he said that it's an extraordinary complex phenomena. Um, And we don't fully understand it yet. But uh, with regards to our uh, having the Council of Eight land on the the lawn at the UN and for them to get out and to meet with the heads of other nations, he made the statement that he thought that this was extraordinarily dangerous. And uh, so 
uh, I guess, as a uh, CIA, um, retired CIA agent, uh, that he was probably voicing what the intelligence community has concerns about. Um, hey, Kathleen, you were just talking about um, most people don't have the understanding yet. We're not ready to change. Um, but they do uh, the – You know, just say, you know, like the Council of Eight, um, is offering uh, positive life-changing experiences. And, you know, when uh, Reverend Michael Carter has been a guest with us, um, we haven't had Travis, um, um but uh, uh there was a recently uh Hieronymus has just recently uh, uh put up a show on uh the nightlight or you know, Barbara's uh webpage uh, uh, to Michael and Travis um since you know them, um, all three of you have written about uh, healing experiences, uh, a greater awareness to benefit humanity, uh, be more environmentally conscious, uh, uh, topics like that. Uh, or, are you finding that what Michael and Travis have discussed are just a pretty standard post experiences, post changes in the experiencer? Uh, yes, absolutely. Experiencers of contact become more spiritual. We become psychic. Um, some okay. some of us can heal the sick. Um, so uh, we are empaths. Uh, among the abductee group, 95% are empaths. So... Um, that means more than just having empathy. That means that if we uh, permit our into another person's aura, we can feel the health of their body in our own bodies. So um, I, I work through hypnosis, the quantum healing hypnosis technique, uh, with people and I I do I can get into their aura I can feel where the pain is in the body and say what's going on here and then I hear and then that's something that I will focus on uh, while they are in hypnosis and we uh, are finally toward the end where uh, I do 
I channel healing from above. And when I channel it, I feel a very strong tingling that comes down through my crown chakra, through the top of my head. I hold my hands out over a person. It could be a foot or two. I always have my eyes closed. And um, I, that uh, very strong tingling sensation moves down my arms and down out through my hands to that other person. If you read my website on hypnosis, you'll read a couple of testimonials from uh, people who have been healed from uh, things like having to have a, a knee replacement to uh, not having to have surgery to becoming healed a person who had rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, um, who was healed of both. And that, that person had been disabled with it. It doesn't work on everybody. It depends upon uh, what kind of agreement that person made when they came into this lifetime. Some people are paying karmic debts and they're doing this by uh, being ill with a certain disease or condition. But uh, a number of people have been healed as well. And uh, that's what Dolores Cannon was known for, um, past life regressions and then this healing. But I do the healing if I'm doing past life regression or if I'm uh, doing a regression with an individual who has had contact and just wants to learn more uh, about what occurred than they already know. But I always require that people will have some conscious recall. I, yeah, it, it's just, um, it's really interesting to see patterns emerge uh, when people are write, you know, writing about their experiences, uh, you know, they come to the same conclusions, uh, you know, without knowing each other or communicating. And it, it seems like it's, it adds more validity to this whole phenomenon. Uh, yes. And I think if you, if you take the time, to really look into it instead of just dismissing it with the flick of your hand, uh, you will find that some of this is real and there is scientific evidence for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as Wilbert Smith found in the chapter uh, that I wrote in the book about Admiral Knowles and uh, some of the things that we have been told are being borne out. I have to tell you that I had worked with a man and I didn't know if he was actually an experiencer of negative ET contact or if this was demonic. But I was, as a researcher, wanting the answer. He was saying that he was taken uh, to an underground base where all kinds of horrific things were occurring. And uh, there were definitely satanic under, undertones to this. And so I kept working with him 
rather than using my better judgment. And I ended up uh, having my vibrational frequency lowered by a horrific statement that he made to me about these ETs and what they did. And one of them came through and attached to me. I still don't know if it was a draconian reptilian shapeshifter or if it was a demon or if there is a difference between the two. But once it attached, I did everything I could to detach it. Now, and it was wreaking havoc in my life. I normally sleep well. I fall asleep right away at night. I was having difficulty sleeping. I normally feel good. I was suddenly feeling like there was a dark cloud hanging over me. My body began to hurt. I've seen this in other people who uh, have a relationship with these horrific shape-shifting reptilian, uh, draconian reptilians. So it became worse and worse. I was using holy water. I had my crucifix on the wall, one next to my bed, um, all sorts of different things that people told me. I I blessed uh, my house. I had uh, a cross above every door and window with holy oil. I did everything. I prayed. It wouldn't go away. And finally, it grew so large, it started to speak to me. And it told me, essentially, that I needed to commit suicide. And uh, that is when I became alarmed, because I've never had that thought before. And uh, there was no reason to have that thought, except for something externally doing this to me. So I called Melanie, who is a minister, Melanie Barton Bragg, Dr. Melanie, and uh, she lived three hours away from me and told her what had happened. And she said that she would try to remove it, but she couldn't remove it from a distance. It was too powerful. So she said that she would come down in a couple of weeks and, and remove it for me. Well, in the interim, um, I called Kevin Briggs right away. And I said, Kevin, this is what has happened to me. Will you please ask the council? to help me. They said they would protect me, and this has happened. And he said, okay, I'll let you know, and I'll get back to you, Kathy. Well, before he could even let me know, I was completely healed. That attachment was detached. I was back to my old self. It happened overnight, Um, maybe within hours of the time I called Kevin. And I can tell you that it is not a fantasy (laughs) that uh, caused this. This was something that was real. I've seen it happen to other people. And unfortunately, if it doesn't get detached, their health becomes worse and worse and worse. And they finally become completely disabled. So uh, you have to raise your vibrational frequency. Apparently... Um, Ra did this for me. 
He detached it. I was back to my higher vibration. And if you go to my website at Kathleen-Martin.com, under um, my essays on contact, you're going to find two essays on how to raise your vibrational frequency if you have any of these lower vibrating entities coming into your environment, how to get rid of them because you have to raise your vibration. And they can do something to you very rapidly, um, you know, by creating uh, terror in you. They did that at the Skinwalker Ranch with the scientists who were there, who ended up taking them home. So, um, but the way that you can stop this is through meditation, by listening to higher vibrational music and uh, just feeling love, the meditation to elevate spiritually. There are some beautiful guided meditations. Uh, And every time I I begin to feel my vibrational level declining because I've stopped meditating, I've been too busy, then I start with those guided meditations again, and it comes back. So it, it's very important to do this if you're having negative contact. Yeah, and, and in your extraterrestrial contact, what to do when you've been abducted? Uh, you, Denise, and Anne Castle have a chapter on you know, the, the, these dark forces and later in in the book uh you do suggest call upon a higher power so you there is the inform, you do cover the information that's out, out there for uh, listeners who um, may believe that they, they are having a Serious problem. Yes. Uh, the chapter is called When You Want It to Stop, Coping Strategies and Resistance Techniques. And mm-hmm. so I, I get into my own story, the one that I just told you, and um, then how to take back control of your life. Uh, the different things that will cause you to to lower your vibrational frequency so it makes it easier for these things to attach to you um, and how to prepare yourself um, for for healing and uh, to get over this and even atheists can do this because you only have to call upon the highest intelligence you know, you can call on God if you believe in God, but I'm not going to say that uh, if you don't believe in God, you're stuck with this uh, lower vibrating thing. I know that some people will say that, but I believe there is help for everyone. All you have to do is become a more loving person, and the way to do that is what I just told you. Go to YouTube. um Look for consciousness raising, vibration raising, healing, um, guided meditations, and and uh, higher vibrational music. Do it in the beginning, at least twice a day. 
and you can do it once a day when you're feeling better, when this isn't happening to you anymore, then you can do it not every day if you don't want to, two or three times a week, um, and so on and so forth. You judge for yourself. But, you know, I wanted to help people, and I, I really put myself at great risk in order to determine exactly what was occurring. And uh, I do want to continue to help people. For many years, people came to me, and they were just having these horrible contact experiences. They were living their lives in fear. There was a time I was living my life in fear. You have to learn more, and you have to learn how to elevate that vibration and express love. I ask people, once you feel that higher vibrational sense of love, uh, go out into your neighborhood uh, and project this love toward everything that's there. I've experimented on it, and I know that it works. I uh, began by projecting love toward plants. I was never good at keeping plants alive. There are plants that should have died in my yard, and they are growing and flourishing and just beautiful. Then I tried the little lizards that run all over the place uh, here in Florida, geckos. And they used to be terribly uh, afraid of me. And they'd run. And then I projected that love toward them. They felt it. They stopped in their tracks. And their little ruby red throat puffed out. So uh, that told me they're feeling this love. And uh, that particular one, whatever it was that I was working on at that particular time, uh, that was my evidence. Then I took it down the street to the pasture and to the sandhill cranes who come to the lake to feed. And I discovered that they lost their fear of me as a human. They had been, especially the sandhill cranes with their babies, they would bring their babies to show them to me. They would let me oh. be near them. It was just amazing. Hmm. Okay. It's what, what you can do. And everyone can do this, I'm convinced. Well, uh, yeah, that, and, and that was one of the things. Uh, once we started talking about your uh newest book um that there is a lot of information in it for readers it's insightful uh it's timely with everything that's going on in the world today uh um uh, most people don't have answers and they aren't listening. Uh, but Zark or Raw needs to have like some kind of breakthrough with uh, a lot more people to 
get get us on the right track. Yes, and that's why I wrote the second half of my book on the Council of Eight. Um, the first half is about my life and my experiences with extraterrestrials um, and the inter multi-generational contact in my family and the evidence. But I wanted to introduce people to the Council of Eight. I thought that it was extraordinarily important Mm -hmm. for people, for humans to receive these messages that we received because it changed my life, I have to tell you, uh, having contact with them and um, there are probably more people around the world who are meeting with these councils. I know that there's a man in Australia. His name is Paul Hamden. And I've known him since 2012. And his ETs, as I said earlier, healed me from a long-standing incurable illness that I had had for many years. And uh, he's for real to these ETs as well. Okay. And and one of Ort's discussions with you, he he talks about um, we are in your solar system. We have been here for a while. We come from different star systems, from the Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, and from Zeta Reticuli. We are very old species, and some of our plants no longer exist, but we can travel anywhere. Um, is what Ort was saying there, uh, is he making some kind of reference to Marjorie Fish's star map from your captured book that she um, developed based on um, what Betty remembered uh, of the you know the information that she was given about you know where her abductors came from. Um, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I asked that question about Zeta Reticuli. Um, I do know that Paul Hamden's entities, the council that he speaks with, uh, say that uh, the greys were based in Zeta Reticuli. Oh, I'm sorry. It it was Kevin... Uh, who seems to have said it on page, starting on page 139 and goes over to 140. Uh, Okay. And Ort says, we come from different star systems, from the Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, and Zeta Reticuli. Okay. I have 139 here. Uh To 140. What question are you reading? Um, 16. 16. Okay. So what star system is each member of the council from? And, oh, they did mention Zeta Reticuli. I had forgotten that. 
I wish I had the memory I had when I was younger. I had complete recall in high school. <laughs> Never had to study for an exam. But <laughs> no, as time went on, no, my memory has faded. But yes, it says zeta reticuli. You're only 29. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so um, yes, well, that is interesting. So. Um, I, I'm going to have to ask Zark if, if he hails from Zeta Reticuli, because uh, maybe he was with the same group or knows of the group that took my family. Yeah, that, I, that's what I was it's kind, of, kind of wondering. You know, is there that possibility? I, 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 just so many different things that you present throughout all of your books that you know, just, uh, is kind of uh, leapfrog from one topic to the other, and you, you just open up all these different doors to these things that probably a lot of us, you know, just kind of whisper about. Mm-hmm. Or wonder, but I, I mean, it's, you know, you're talking with these um, different beings. It's just really uh, fascinating when you look at the limit, uh, the limitless possibilities found within the universe. And too oh. many of us, you know, we just get boxed into, you know, just. Oh, the same, same. They can't way get here from there. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just that kind of thinking. Right. Yeah. It's just uh, it's just a bunch of rehashed ideas, and you're not really advancing. Uh, right. Your books cause us to, you know, move forward in a positive way. Yes, I think in understanding, and I see here in question 14, my family has been targeted for contact, and I would like some answers. Were, were they selected for contact? Uh, why were they selected for contact, and why is my family part of the Grays program? And the answer is, there is no particular reason why people are chosen for the abduction experience. But once the, once the family has been chosen, then it can occur down the family line. And they had told me that initially they uh, just took uh, people opportunistically, kids on the backlands of the family farm, people out fishing or hunting or camping or hiking, driving down a lonely road, etc. But when they found what they were looking for, then they began to take people down the family line. And they said usually the first choices when people were alone and they were not missed, your family was not chosen for any particular reason, just the same as all families are chosen for the experiment. But, you know, so we're all part of an experiment. But they say that they took us along family lines uh, so that they could uh, monitor and measure uh, progress intergenerationally. Um, sort of as our own scientists do when they're attempting to make positive changes. So maybe 
I, they gave me a higher level of intelligence than I had when, uh, when I was a baby and a young girl. Um, they, they've certainly done a number of things that have changed me uh, in many ways. And, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that I was the same as everyone else. But then over time, and particularly as I searched for answers through these uh, questionnaires and, and uh, social studies that I participated in as, as a researcher with PhD researchers, uh, we came closer to finding those answers. And then I wanted to check those results out with the Council of Eight. And, uh, you know, everything seems to mesh. It, uh, that the information is good information. Well, it, even in um, when you and Denise wrote Alien Abduction Files, uh, she spoke about a missing time. I think she. Uh, didn't have any recall of it. It's the same that happened like uh, 20 years after Betty and Barney's case. Um, I don't know. She was even aware of you know the uh, th their story at in the early 80s. Uh, well, in but, in the incident in the early 80s. Um, there was definitely uh, conscious recall that something had happened. Ed, her, uh, her husband, and Denise had observed these bright lights coming in toward them very rapidly. They'd observed them when they were descending um, a, a, a pass, a 10,000-foot pass in uh, Colorado. Mm -hmm. It was a route that they took every weekend during the summer, so they were very familiar with the route. They always stopped at the same places, got out of the car to stretch their legs, had a snack. They did everything. And then um, these uh, lights were coming very rapidly toward them. Denise was trying to get Ed's attention, and what she said is that Ed's hands were gripping the steering wheel very tightly. She couldn't get his attention. It was as if he was in a trance already. And then she felt the car lift up, and there was a, a snow fence beside the highway, and it lifted up over the snow fence and um, traveled. She didn't know what happened next until hypnosis. I did separate hypnosis with Ed and Denise, just like Dr. Simon did with Betty and Barney Hill, mm -hmm. I, so I could compare their statements. And so you know, they had that memory of being on the road, the lights, the car lifting, and then suddenly they found themselves on Trout Creek Pass 40 miles away. Uh, when they had the first experience of the lights, it was daylight outside. It was in the summer, and uh, it was only uh, seven, six or seven o'clock at night. When 
they found themselves on Trout Creek Pass with no memory of how they got there. Not only were they missing 40 miles, but they, uh, but it was dark. And when they checked the time, it was 11 o'clock at night. So uh, many mysteries. Uh, Denise's family always met them at this camping area that they went to every weekend during the summer. Mother and father were there with a family friend uh, worried to death about Ed and Denise and their daughter, Dee Dee. What had happened? Did they have an accident? Was the car broken down? And those, these were the days before cell phones. And uh, so finally, Ed and Denise arrived, and uh, they told the family what they remembered. And the family thought they were making up a story that they had done something else and they didn't want them to know about it. But then after talking with them, they realized that this was real. And I have a statement uh, from Denise's mother that is in that book and, and all of the evidence that I was able to collect about not only that, but about Denise's life and the experiences she had dating back to her childhood that have followed her through life. But I can tell you one thing. Since uh, Denise and I started to work with the Council of Eight, we have not been abducted. I don't know why that is. But she had been abducted by uh, insectoids, the, the mantis types, working with greys. And I had been taken just by greys. I have no memory of mantis types. Uh, it hasn't happened to either of us, as far as we know. And both of us always had some memory. Oh, okay. Um, you know, we're... Um, we have like eight minutes left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we had missing time in there. It seems like we just got started and we're <laughs> kind of uh, winding <laughs> up. But yeah, uh-huh. yeah, but um, yeah, it, I do want to get in a couple questions for you. Um, okay. Yeah, like you know, with uh. Uh, Dan's uh, Boru conference, um, and they had uh, handouts there for uh, the visitors. And um, when I got, it's covering a you know early UFO sighting on April twenty third, eighteen ninety seven. It was also seen in Lindora, which is a great place to have the conference, uh, very appropriate. Uh, Evan City, Zelianople, et cetera, you know, a lot of these uh, cities. Um, it, it, I think it's about the same time or the same, or at least the same year. Uh, um, John Keel mentions um, some of the airship sightings um, further down the Ohio River around around Sistersville. 
Mm-hmm. Um, um, from 1897 to 1961, and uh, you know, with Denise's reports. Uh, that you, you two cover in alien abduction files. It, is there uh, becoming a, uh, a pattern of, of their appearances or abductions that uh, is evolving? Like, you know, ha, have they, you know, just basically come to Earth to? Uh, and instruct humanity to be better people? Well, I think that many of them came here to begin with uh, in an attempt to instruct humanity. But then they realized that humanity was not ready to be instructed and refused the offer and uh, was frightened of them, very suspicious of them, and were not going to evolve in the way that they wanted us to. So when they realized that, um, they started taking our DNA. And what they told uh, a woman uh, in another case that uh, I investigated, have information on, this was dating back to the 1950s, before Betty and Barney. But... um, She was a lady from Texas who was taken. And the ETs told her that they were collecting DNA so that they would be able to determine who was going to survive the collapse of the Earth's ecosystem. Uh, And if you remember back in 1954, that was one of the major messages, our environment. And we see now our ecosystem collapsing with uh, so many animals who are becoming extinct. Uh And uh, humans, so many humans, losing the ability to reproduce. So um, it seems that 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 was the focus for a very long time. I don't know if it's still active. I'm hearing from most people, they're older now, though, that uh, they're not taking their DNA. Um, I would like to hear from some younger people. I'd like to know if it's, it's still occurring with them. But they certainly had the ability to uh, examine, do experiments with a, a great deal of human DNA. And they told Denise that they were attempting to uh, create a more survivable species. So, um, and I know that the grays were attempting to create a more survivable gray and to regain some of the things that they had lost over the uh, thousands and thousands of years, such as their emotions. Um, everyone used to say they didn't have any emotions. They don't say that anymore. They talk about the uh, taller grays, the five-foot-tall and above grays emotions. Um, So that's different from back when Bud Hopkins was uh, 
talking about and introducing all of this. Um, and also, uh, they, the greys had lost the ability to reproduce naturally. That's something that they would like to have so that they don't have to uh, take human DNA to help them to uh, reproduce and to reproduce in just these uh, artificial gestational tanks. Okay, and, and you have a couple conferences coming up and maybe get some answers from the uh, patrons? Yes, absolutely. You can go to my website and there's a list of the conferences well, where I will be speaking this year and a link uh, to that. And the, the ones coming up are Roswell, um, two weeks, that's July, fourth weekend. A week later, the MUFON International Symposium in Denver. Then in over Labor Day weekend, the Exeter UFO Conference in New, Exeter, New Hampshire. And then one in Michigan, where I'll be speaking as well. Uh, so you, all that information is there with clickable links. You can purchase autographed copies of any of my books there. If you don't want an autograph, uh, you can purchase uh, e-books and uh, books that you can hold in your hand and read uh, but from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other bookstores online, um, and read my articles. Have a lot of articles there that you can read as well. And if you need help, you can learn from those articles uh, before you even come to me. But if you do uh, what I was telling you this show, uh, please let me know uh, if you were helped by it because I'm attempting to collect data on who is helped. I hope it's 100%. I hope people stick with it, but I want to know. Okay, and, and we're down to uh, just about a minute. So, uh, you were starting on another book. Are you at page two now? You were stuck at page one for a while. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still at page one. <laughs> I decided it was time to take a break. You know, I've worked extraordinarily hard um, writing this past book. I was feeling pretty exhausted um, doing shows every day, sometimes more than one a day, uh, seven days a week for about three months. And it's. I thought, wouldn't it be good just to relax and enjoy some time with my husband. <laughs> okay, we, we need to leave it there. Uh, I just want to thank you for being a guest, Kathleen, and we'll see everyone uh, next week. Good night, everyone. Oh, good talking to you.